the, the, the title of my message, we're still in the Misfit Heroes uh, series, but uh, I, I titled it Pentecost and Peter. Because uh, we're going to talk about Pentecost this morning, but we're also going to talk about Peter and what I kind of call the Peter principles. Uh, and, and first and foremost, so you understand what Pentecost is, it's the celebration 50 days after Easter. Okay, so on any calendar every year, if you take Easter wherever it lands, because it seems to be a holiday that just likes to float. Um, and honestly, I don't even know how they pick that day. Like, I feel like we just now start picking. Like, we just throw darts at the, mat, uh, the calendar and go, oh, yeah, June 1st. That's a good day for Easter. I don't know. Um, you know, because sometimes it's in March. Sometimes it's in April. I'm like, can we, like, make Thanksgiving? Like, Easter is a certain Sunday. That would be awesome. Um, but, uh, but 50 days after Easter is Pentecost Sunday. Now, you get that from uh, when Jesus resurrected until the time where he went to heaven in Acts 2 or Acts 1, uh, that is, and then the Acts 2 when they were all up in the upper room and they were praying and, and the Holy Spirit came uh, into the, the room, that is 50 days from Easter until when the Holy Spirit was given to the, the modern day, the, Nor, uh, the New Testament church, and they call it Pentecost, okay? Now, that word alone... Um, kind of brings a little uneasiness to some people in the church world because we have manipulated it to mean something that it's not, you know, because, uh, and, and no knock on anybody that, you know, would call themselves Pentecostal or come from a Pentecostal church, but what happens is, and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to walk very tenderly around this just so that I try not to offend anybody, I always said, uh, when people ask me what kind of church we came from in, in California, I would always tell them we're a Pentecostal light. Um, because <laughs> we believe in the move of the Spirit, we believe in the in in, in all that the holy the, the gift of the Holy Spirit and all of that. But I don't see, and this is where I could do a whole rant on it, and I won't this morning. Is I don't see how the the modern day church, in particularly, has abused the Holy Spirit in its gatherings. Okay, and so what I mean by that is, um, if <laughs> if you're if you understand the church world. If you dive deep into, uh, some of you maybe heard of uh, a Bethel church or uh, some of these churches that, you know, they promote themselves as like this miracle uh, moving, healing. They've had, uh, they've promoted themselves as having gold dust fall from the ceiling from spiritual heaven. Um, so, <laughs> listen, um, I'm not going to knock them. I do believe that they love Jesus. Um, there's a lot about that church that um, just, I'm going to say as your pastor, I don't believe is biblical. That's just me saying it, okay? You could take it for what it's worth. But here's the problem. I think when we try to make the Holy Spirit do something and act some way that he's not intended to, then people get scared of coming to church where you promote the Holy Spirit. Well, we're praying for the Holy Spirit to come in. Nope, peace. I'm not coming. Mm -mm. That freaky stuff that happens, y'all start speaking in tongues and backflips over the seat and y'all want to like pray for me for 45 minutes? Nah, I'm good. I'm out. Okay? Um, and, and that's the problem is when we look at the word Pentecost and when the Holy Spirit actually came upon them, we start to think, oh yeah, the freaky churches. No. The Holy Spirit was intended for every person that calls themselves a believer. And what we have to do, and I think what's really important as the church is we have to understand the purpose of the Holy Spirit, how he is intended to be used in our life. And, um, and, I, and that's why I wanted to do Pentecost and Peter because, because Peter is really vital in the beginning uh, phase of the New Testament church. 
Okay, so uh, it's interesting that uh, what I wrote down here about the Pentecost was that it's a celebration 50 days after Easter during the, the Festival of Weeks. So it was a Jewish festival that they would have called the Festival of Weeks. Well, that's when Pentecost happened. It's when the Holy Spirit descended on Christians. It's marked the beginning of the Christian church's mission to the world. It literally is, when we talk about Pentecost, it is the marking of the New Testament church's mission field to the world. Uh, you can find the, the beginning of all this in Acts 1 and Acts 2. And um, Acts 2, it opens with the verse 1 saying, you know, saying that they were all in the same room. They were all in unity and they were all praying. And what came from that prayer movement, which is why prayer is so important, right? What happened from that prayer movement is the Holy Spirit shows up. Now, here's, here's what happens. I want you to understand something. So Acts 2 two through four. And we're going to read this and we're going to read two other scriptures in the, in the book of Acts chapter two. So two, two through four says this. Suddenly there was a sound from heaven, like the roaring of a mighty windstorm. And it filled the house where they were sitting. Then what looked like flames or tongues of fire appeared and settled on each of them. And everyone present was filled with the Holy Spirit and began speaking in other languages as the Holy Spirit gave them this ability. Okay, so we could go a hard left on theology, and this is where people start to talk about, you know, speaking in tongues, okay? I believe in speaking in tongues. Your pastor believes it, believes that it is a biblical thing. I don't believe that the way the modern-day church has uh, used it is necessarily proper, and, and I would love to do a whole teaching on that so that people can understand, but here's, here's the gist of it. The Holy Spirit comes, Bust through the door. Sounds like a mighty windstorm, right? There's this, I would imagine the room's kind of shaking because of how much windy it is. And then it says that these, this is where it gets a little weird, people, so just buckle up and hang on, okay? Flaming tongues over their heads, okay? That, that part's a little weird, right? I'm not gonna lie. If, if, if I, like, close my eyes and open my eyes and all of a sudden saw, saw little flaming tongues over your heads, I'd be a little freaked out. Uh, but there was flaming tongues, and then... And here's the key part. Then they started to speak in languages that were real, but that they didn't know. So it would be like, Rodney, do you speak Spanish at all? And saying hola isn't Spanish, right? So, um, you know, or taco or burrito. That is not Spanish, okay? That's just words, okay? If you can't put it into a sentence at least one time, like I can say that I partially speak Spanish. I can tell somebody hello, and I can ask them, donde el taco? Where's the taco? Okay, don't they Albano, right after eating the taco? Where's the bathroom? Okay, so, uh, and if I, listen, if I stay in, a, in, in, a, in, in like Guatemala or Mexico long enough, then I get like a little brave and I start to like understand a little bit more. So when we go to like the markets, I can, I can at least bargain a little bit and cuando es, you know, and then, you know, how much is. Uh, and so, so I know enough to like make it really bad for me to be in a country like that. Uh, but it would be like Rodney who's standing up here and like starting to like speak in Spanish and, and just like go to town and start like, he has this list of things that he's saying and we're all like, yeah, bro, get it, okay. Mary, you speak Spanish, don't you? Uh, uh, 65%. 65%. So, so it would be like, here's, here's how God works, right? It would be like Rodney, dude who speaks no Spanish, gets up and speaks Spanish and Mary goes, I understood every single word of that. See, speaking in tongues wasn't this, like, get up and, uh, listen, I know people hate me when I do this because I, it feels like I'm making fun of the church, but we get up and we just start making up words, like, Honda, 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 Mishi, Bishi, 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 Bishi. Like, that is not speaking in tongues. You're just speaking cars really fast, okay? 
That's not how this works. It is literally a gift of the Spirit that not everybody will have. Here's where a lot of churches teach wrong. They think, they say that in order to have the Holy Spirit in your life, you have to speak in tongues. It's evidence of speaking in tongues. That is not what the Bible teaches. The Bible says that he, the Holy Spirit, is a gift giver. And the gift of the Holy Spirit, the gifts of the Holy Spirit are for him to decide what you need. Could you imagine if you needed boldness and all of a sudden you just started speaking in tongues? Like, what good would that do? It wouldn't help you. And that's why it's important to understand that that the gifts of the Holy Spirit are not more powerful than having the Holy Spirit in your life in general. We need him in our life to be able to, and I say him because he is a third part of the Trinity, the, the Godhead, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. We need the Holy Spirit in our lives to live every single day. Uh, you've all seen it on Facebook, the, the meme that says, do you need God to, to, uh, do, uh, to go to church? And you're like, do you need God to go to Walmart? Like, or do you need God to go to heaven? And he's like, you need God to go to Walmart. Like, like, we need the Holy Spirit in our life because there's a lot of times where we just want to say something, do something, act a way, and God's going, no, no, no probably not best. And we need to be able to listen. So here's the thing. So after Acts 2, 2 through 4, the Holy Spirit comes in and they all start speaking in tongues. Now here's the thing. Because of the festival of weeks, there was all these people from all the different countries around there for that festival. And so they start speaking in languages that they don't know how to speak, but that other people understand. And everybody outside, if you, if you go back and read uh, Acts 2, 5 through like 36, it's this beautiful painting of the, of the Holy Spirit using the disciples. And the people outside are like, who are these people up there speaking our languages? And all of a sudden, and, and then some of them are like making fun of them, like, are they drunk? Read it. That's what it says. It says, are they drunk? And then Peter gets out, and he gets out on the, the balcony, and he, and he starts to preach to them. The first message ever recorded uh, of the modern-day New Testament church, Peter preaches this beautiful message uh, to every, and there's thousands of people standing there, and he's you know, yelling this message to them. And he goes, no, we're not drunk. It's nine in the morning. <laughs> like, like, he had to like, let them, like, you know, hey, look, it's only nine. We're not there yet, okay? And, and, and he says, but here's the deal. And he goes into this message about God and about Jesus and how he was the chief cornerstone and he was the one that died for our sins and he starts to quote I uh, I believe it's Isaiah and King David and he and he this beautiful message and ultimately he leads them to this place where he tells them hey listen you have to repent you have to know this Jesus you have to know this man that we are so excited about and this Holy Spirit that is coming into our life he preaches this powerful powerful message and then we get to Acts two. 37 through 38. And this is the response of the people from this message. And it says, Peter's words pierced their hearts. And they said to him and to the other apostles, brothers, what should we do? And Peter replied, each of you must repent of your sins and turn to God and be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. Then you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. So, so Peter gives this beautiful message and people are responding to it. And they're saying, this sounds amazing, but what do we do? How do we, how do we go from there to here? How do we go from, from apart from God to close to God? And Peter says, it's real simple. you got to profess him as your Savior. You have to be baptized, and you, you will get the Holy Spirit. Now, 
once again, theology pause. You do not need to be baptized to get to heaven. Baptism is, if that was the case, the man on the cross would not have been with Jesus in heaven. And Jesus told him, today you'll be with me in paradise, right? And so we know that baptism, although it is extremely important to our faith, it is not a necessity. Salvation is the only thing that's necessary for heaven. Baptism is the public proclamation of what Jesus is doing on the inside of our lives. And so we, we give out of, uh, of our lives and we baptize. And then the natural progression is that we say, okay, Holy Spirit, come and do your thing in my life. Now, I do believe that there is a, an act that we need to do to welcome the Holy Spirit. The Bible says that the Holy Spirit is a gentleman. You know, he's, he's not going to come in like the SWAT team and say, okay, I'm here to mess up your life. We're going to wreck things up. No, he's waiting for you to say, okay, Holy Spirit, I want you to help guide and lead me. I need you to, to show me your ways and to show me the best way to, I need you to help tra uh, train my thoughts to think certain ways. I need you to train my mouth to speak certain ways. And then the Holy Spirit comes in and helps us in our life. You know, the interesting part is if you follow after verse 38 in the book of Acts, it says that 3,000 men came to know Jesus that day. Now, what that really means is somewhere between five and 7,000 people came to know Jesus that day because they only counted the men back in, in those times. So whenever you see that, whenever you say 5,000 men were fed, well, that means like more like five and 7,000 people. When you read that 3,000 men got saved, that means that like somewhere between five and 7,000 people got saved that day because they only really counted the men for writing document. And so all of these people could you imagine, I mean, that is the, you want to talk about a revival. They went from sitting in an upper room, praying silently and spending time together within a matter of moments, the Holy Spirit comes in, messes their whole world up. They start speaking in tongues and, and within probably a handful of hours, there's 7,000 people a part of the church. That is a leadership problem. Now you got to figure out how to lead like the church. You know, and you're like, oh, I'm not ready for this. And it enters Peter. Peter is, uh, I think we all like Peter because we can all relate with him a little bit more than a lot of the other uh, apostles. He speaks <laughs> and forgets, like, listen, when I talk about, like, from the, the connection between the brain and the mouth, yeah, a lot of times he didn't have that. He just, did, he just did his thing. He spoke what he wanted to. He did what he wanted to. He was uh, abrasive at times. And, and, and so it's so, so hard. And so before um, we jump into Peter, I want to end this last little thought on the Holy Spirit that um, I think we, we, we kind of push him to the side and we, we understand God and Jesus. And, and I hope as a church, we can start to really understand who the Holy Spirit is. I just wrote these little things down to help you kind of understand why the Holy Spirit is so important in our life. He, he enriches your faith life. Without him, you cannot really grow in your faith life. He gives you boldness in your faith life. He's the conviction in our life. You know that, that uh -uh, don't do that? I call it my little Jiminy Cricket, you know? That's the Holy Spirit. Don't, no, God, stop it. That's not what God wants for you in your life. He's the spiritual gift giver. Without the Holy Spirit, you cannot be blessed with godly gifts. You may have talents, but the gifts that God speaks of in 1 Corinthians 12 are gifts that are presented by the Holy Spirit. That's what the Bible says, that these are gifts that are produced when the Holy Spirit comes into your life. And, and then on top of that, uh, how many know what the fruit of the Spirit's? Galatians 5, right? You know, those lovely things that we love when everything's good, but we don't like so much when things aren't going right, like self-control. 
<laughs> discipline, joy, like, ugh, I just want to be cranky. Like, they are gifts. They are a fruit. And here's what's, we, we, even though they're multiple, it says they are the fruit of the Spirit. They're not fruits of. They're all wrapped in together. Like, you can't pick and choose like gifts. Well, you know, I have the gift of teaching. Well, you know, I just have the gift of uh, joy. I'm not really good at self-discipline. It's not one the Holy Spirit gave me. Wrong. It says fruit of, not fruits of, okay? So, so when, you get, when you get the Holy Spirit, he gives you all of those access to all of it. He is the producer of genuine worship in our lives. John, the book of John says, you know, that, that Jesus tells his people, we will worship in spirit and in truth. We need the Holy Spirit to really worship God the Father and Jesus. I wrote this down because I thought it was really um, a great way of kind of looking at the Holy Spirit. Living without the Holy Spirit is like trying to drive a car with no gas. You know, right now, a lot of us are like, we, we, we're riding that. Listen, right now, my car out there is on like, e, it yelled at me this morning. Low fuel. Like, yeah, get with the program. Okay. You know, as we were filling this thing up, and t- when you hit the red, then we'll fill you up, okay? Because you take too much. And, and, and so, but could you imagine, like, you have no gas in your car, and you're just sitting in your driveway, and you're just like, yeah, we're going places now. No. You, without, without fuel in your vehicle, you're not going anywhere. And the reality is, is in life with God, without the Holy Spirit, there's a lot of things that we can't do and that we won't do and that we don't have the access to move into without the Holy Spirit in our life. So, I want to talk about Peter because Peter was the one that spoke up on the day of Pentecost and preached this message, and he's such a unique character. I love him because I recognize a lot of my own personality in Peter. Kind of get ahead of myself, kind of try to get ahead of God and put my foot in my mouth. But he was a bold leader. Peter will forever be linked to the growth of the church and the leadership of the church and the everyday believer. He led the, the New Testament church, right? He, he, he was the, the, the main, he, when, when all the other apostles were like, yeah, so who's gonna lead? Hmm. Uh, Peter's like, he steps up and he's like, okay, this is what we're gonna do. Peter was always a go-getter. He was always ready to step in and take the place in the leadership. And him and Paul really are the the ones in the New Testament church that at the beginning uh, were the biggest reasons the gospel spread. Now, how many would agree that Peter had his flaws? If you know anything about Peter, Peter had his flaws. And I believe that's why so many of us recognize his story, because they're like, oh, yeah, you know, pick, pick an apostle you want to be like. Oh, Peter, man, he messed up, and I'm a mess up person. So, you know, if God can use him, he can still use me. And, I, and we're like, we're excited that there's still a Peter, because with Peter, that gives us hope that no matter how many things that go on in our life, that God can still want to use us. Now, here's the interesting part. Peter was uh, the first disciple called by Jesus. He was a fisherman, okay? Now, how many fishermen do we have in the room? Uh, yeah, yeah. Fisher, fisher people, fishermen and women, you know? Yeah, it was a, I, listen, I'm not. I, I Listen, I, I could enjoy being out on a lake and doing that. I don't know, like, you could, I, I could lie to you all day long about lures and all sorts. I don't know a dang thing, nothing, nada. Like, yeah. Put something on a hook, send it out, hopefully a fish catches it. You know, like that's, that's how fishing works in my brain. Okay, but Peter, he was a professional fisherman. He got out on the boats and he threw his nets out and they went fishing. When they went fishing, they were trying to get lots of fish. 
And, uh, and so Peter, but the thing about fishermen, and I think that a lot of times we don't, because we don't study things in the Bible, we just go, oh, Peter was a fisherman. Fishermen back in that day were rough, vulgar, lived a harsh lifestyle. They, they, were, they were not the civilized human beings that went to the market and went to the stores and, and like that's what they had wives for. They were, they were rough. They would get in fights on the dock. They always had to figure out how to get the most for their money out of the marketplace. They were tough people. And this is the first guy that Jesus walks up to and was like, hey, what you doing? He's like, well, I'm trying to fish, but I had a horrible day fishing and it's my livelihood. And he goes, okay, um, famous words. Have you tried the other side? See Peter in his mind thinking about some choice words he wants to tell Jesus. We tried the other side. He says, okay, fine. He throws his nets out and he catches it and he goes, listen, don't worry. I'm not gonna, you're no longer gonna be a fisher man. You're gonna be a fisher of men. And, and he calls him out and then out of that, he gets like two other people out of the boat and calls them to be disciples. But Peter's the first one. He's this rough guy. Could you imagine Jesus looking at him and going, oh man, I got a lot of work to do with him. Hmm. And, and, and so he, he goes on. Fishermen were traditionally uneducated. They would have had ample wits and survival skills acquired by working hard and braving the seas. Fishermen were stereotypically men of action, very physical and unafraid of others. Some of you are like, yeah, that hasn't changed. That's what fishermen are still to this day. I, don't, I wouldn't know. I don't go fishing. So, but I, do, I know a lot of fishermen and they all seem pretty rough and tumble and I wouldn't want to get in a fight with a lot of them. And quite frankly, um, you know, I don't want to be thrown out of a boat. So, you know, that's, I, I trust the guy who's, who's got command of the boat. And so, so the fishermen still kind of have that air of themselves today that, that they are rough and it, and it just, and here's Peter and he's just like, you know, Jesus is walking around talking about love and I'm sure Peter's mind is going, love? You know how we end this? Just pop him in their face. Jesus, it would be all over. I don't understand why, why we're talking about love. Like Peter had a hard time dealing with, with some of the things that Jesus is preaching. He had to learn how to, how to be the person that, that Jesus was, uh, was trying to make him. But Jesus empowered Peter to be the head of the church. Now, here's the most craziest part. He took the roughest person in the bunch and then told him, you're going to be the head of the church. Now, if I'm looking at the apostles, why is it not John the Beloved? that's how John is. Anytime you read the Bible and it says the beloved one or the one that he loved most, he's talking about John. That, that when, when they had their, uh, their communion dinner at, the, at the, the Last Supper, it was John who was resting his head on Jesus. Why wasn't it John that took over the church? No, it was rough and ready Peter. And there's a purpose and a reason that, that everything inside of Peter that Jesus wanted to draw out. And so I want to point you to a couple of scriptures, and then I've got a few thoughts on Peter for this morning. And so I want you to see what God was doing in Peter. Matthew 16, 15 through 19, he says this. Then he asked them, but who do you say I am? This is Jesus speaking to the disciples. He says, but who do you say I am? And Simon, which was Peter's name before he was Peter, answered, you are the Messiah, the son of the living God. And Jesus replied, you are blessed, Simon, son of John, because my Father in heaven has revealed this to you. You did not learn this from any human being. Now I say to you that you are Peter, which means rock, and upon this rock I will build my church, and all the powers of hell will not conquer it. And I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven. Whatever you forbid on earth will be forbidden in heaven, and whatever you permit on earth will be permitted in heaven. 
that is some power right there. So, so Peter, when nobody of the other disciples are willing to speak up, Jesus says, who do you say I am? He's looking around. He's like, none of y'all are going to say it? Okay, I think you're the Messiah. And Jesus says, you didn't hear that from human lips. God the Father told you that. And because you were willing, when nobody else was, because, you know, we, we, how many have been in, in school where, you know, the teacher asks a question, and you're like, I'm pretty sure I know the answer, but I'm not going to be the person to raise my hand and get it wrong. I don't want to look like a fool. That's probably like what the disciples were like, hey, you say Messiah, you say it. No, what if he's not the Messiah? Then we're really in trouble. Peter's like, look, you're the Messiah. Jesus says, because you are brave enough to speak who I am, the church is going to be founded upon that characteristic, a bold characteristic, a bold lifestyle, a bold mentality. And then you listen to, here's the funny part, and, and just the irony of this, this uh, set of scriptures in Matthew uh, 16, I believe it was, is just a few, um, just a few verses later, he tells Peter to, to get behind him, Satan. So he says, you're going to be, the, you're going to be the, the, the foundation. You're going to be the rock of the church. And then he goes into this whole thing about how he has to die and, and be raised again in resurrection. And, and Peter goes, that will never happen. And Jesus looks at Peter and he goes, get behind me, Satan. I'm like you just handed him the keys of the kingdom. Now you're calling him Satan. This is, this is how Peter worked. Like Peter just, he was him. He just made those kind of mistakes. But then you look at first Peter Obviously, the books that he wrote, First and Second Peter. In First Peter 1, 13 through 15, Peter writes this. So prepare your minds for action and exercise self-control. Put all your hope in the gracious salvation that will come to you when Jesus Christ is revealed to this world. So you must live as God's obedient children. Don't slip back into your old ways of living to satisfy your own desires. You didn't know any better then, but now... You must be holy in everything you do, just as God who chose you is holy. Seems like drastically different words from a man who told Jesus that he couldn't go to the cross and die, that also denied wanting the, his feet washed, that, that cut the ears off of people. Like, Peter had a lot of flaws. <laughs> then we get to where he wrote this book, and he's got such a powerful word. You've got to be prepared for action. Got to exercise self-control. You've got to be willing to live holy and, and, and be obedient to God and get rid of your old ways. So there's a few things that I want us to learn from Peter that I believe that if we can implement and understand, our lives will be better. The first one is this, okay? And I think it's the big, one of the biggest ones. Peter's stumbles didn't cancel him. I want you to hear this in your own, for your own life. Your failures don't cancel you. Your mistakes don't cancel you. The things that you, you hold over your own head, how could God use me because of? How could God love me because this? He didn't hold it against Peter. Why would he hold it against you? Peter reprimands Jesus about his prophecy. I just told you that. He refused the foot washing. He cut a man's ear off. He denied Christ three times before he went to the cross. <laughs> your, one of your best friends is about to go to the cross. Don't you think that, that, that you would at least like rep his name? At least rep the, the, the group that you belong to, to to say, that's my boy. Oh, you're the one with Jesus. No, I don't know that Jesus. Jesus who? I know Jesus. Jesus? No, no Jesus. No say. 
Then he goes to another place and like, you're one of them. I'm not, not one of them. I'm a fisherman. What are you talking about? Third person, you were with him. I don't know. I, maybe, I, I got one of them faces. It look like everybody else. Could you imagine what Peter felt like when the rooster crowed? Because he was adamant to Jesus. Like, I won't deny you. There's no way. There, uh, everybody else could fall. I'm not going to fall, Jesus. He says, before the rooster crows three times, you will deny me. Or before the rooster crows, you'll deny me three times. And could you imagine what Peter felt like when he heard that and he realized, dang, I couldn't even be there for him when he needed me. Peter fell asleep at the Garden of Gethsemane during prayer. Peter was constantly stepping out of turn and talking and saying things. Yet in all he did wrong, Jesus saw his purpose and kept his calling on him. He never said, well, Peter, that's the last straw. I can't, I can't. You've made too many mistakes. When will you get it, Peter? From now on, you're just going to have to just be another person because I can't use you. And the problem is, is that we so often, we see ourselves in that light. We go, God, I, there's, you know, I've made these mistakes. I've said these wrong things. I've done these wrong things. And that if I talked about them in church, that heaven forbid, I would be looked out as an outcast, a sinner. How could God love me? And how could I be used for the church? And how can I be used to, to point people to Jesus when, I, when, when I've done all of this wrong? And he looks at you the same way he looks at Peter. And he says, I have called you for a greater purpose. And despite all the things you may do wrong and have done wrong, you have a heavenly divine purpose that if you will just hold on to and tap into, he's going to use you. The only way we forfeit kingdom purpose is by walking away. The Bible says that our calling is irrevocable. And what that means is when God looks at your life and he says, I've got a purpose and a plan for you, the only thing that can change that is us not choosing to do it. Pastor Scott, I've made some big mistakes. And to that, I would say this, join the club. Because a good church doesn't have perfect people. How can we reach the lost and the hurting if we have not been lost and hurting ourselves? Now, that doesn't, let me balance this. That doesn't mean like, well, I don't have a testimony, Pastor Scott. Never done bad things. Maybe your testimony is that you can live for God your whole life. We, we have a friend, Pastor Michael, who's one of our overseers, and mine and Stephanie's good friend, his wife, Cheryl, Grew up in the church. Grew up in the church. Was a good kid. Like, she was squeaky clean most of her life. Like, you know, she was just, and she, and you know, in churches, a lot of times, we'll bring up, like, the most wretched person ever to give a testimony. So you don't want to just find the person that's kind of bad. You want to find the person that's like, I've killed five people. I've been addicted to cocaine since I was, like, two months old. Like, you want the person that just, like, pulls at every heartstring. But I found Jesus. And you're like, <laughs> The problem is, is the, to the good person, you're going, I don't, I don't have that. So, so what, what can I really offer to anybody to, to give them hope? Because I'm just, I'm a good person. And it wasn't until she realized that Jesus spoke to her and said, your, your acts of obedience to your whole life shows that you can live for God from a young age. And being good doesn't equate to being available in the heavens. 
What I mean by that is this, is that just because you're a good person, because this is how we try to think. If I'm a good person, if I'm a Boy Scout or a Girl Scout, if I walk enough people across the street, and if I do all the right things, and I don't cuss, but if you don't have Jesus, you're still missing something. And so being good, there is no good that is good enough. There is only Jesus who makes us whole. There's a part of us that is missing until we know Jesus. And here at Peter, he's constantly stumbling. He's constantly making mistakes. And yet, Jesus says, it's on you that I'll build the church. It's on your your characteristics and qualities that you have that the church is going to be founded. And Satan will try and get you to quit. And he will get you to think that you aren't good enough and make you look at your mistakes. But God calls us to him and to a purpose despite our failures. Peter was called not because he was perfect, but because he was willing, passionate, and faithful. That's what made Peter so awesome. It wasn't that he was perfect. It wasn't that he had it all together. It wasn't that he he spoke well. It's because he was willing, passionate, and faithful. The book of Acts says that Peter and John were untrained and unschooled, but what did they recognize? That he had been with Jesus. That is our goal. So listen, today, I want you to hear something. If you've made mistakes, it's okay. If you feel like you have done wrong, it's okay. If you feel like you are failing in areas, it's all right. Lean back into Jesus and let him grab a hold of your life and say, let's run together. It's okay. The next thing that Peter understood that I think we need to understand is this, is that Peter understood growth. If we look at Peter, the very first day that he meets Jesus, and then we read the book of Peter, the book that he writes, it's like two different people. The Peter that Jesus meets is rough. He's, he's ready to like probably box everything that moves. You know, he, he's just abrasive and, and, and rough around the edges. And then you get to this other Peter who becomes this father and this leader of the church and, he, and he's helping people grow. He understands that there is a growth process in Christianity. And here's the other thing that I, I, I have a hard time with it, and I lived a part of this lifestyle is that we expect when you come to know Jesus that next day you're supposed to be perfect and have it all together and be Holy Spirit filled. Like you walk into church and you're like, I love Jesus now. And you're like, awesome, all right, go and change the world right now. Run, 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 go, go, go. And you're like, I, I don't even, I, I, don't, I don't know. I'm lost, I'm out, overwhelmed, goodbye. I think we've actually lost really good people to the church because we've expected too much too soon. Let's go on a journey together. If you don't have it all figured out, that's great. We're gonna run together and we're gonna learn. Remember, my word for this year for the church, now faith, it means that we have to dig in and understand a little bit more so that we can put into place faith in action. And so when you look at what Peter means by growth, look at what 1 Peter 2, 2 through 3 says. It says this, like newborn babies, you must crave pure spiritual milk so that you will grow into a full experience of salvation. Cry out for this nourishment now that you have had a taste of the Lord's kindness. When you have a new child, they need certain substances that you can't, if you throw a T-bone steak in front of a child, we may get drooly and like, yeah, that child doesn't know what to do with it. Why aren't you finishing your food? Because I don't have teeth yet. What am I going to do? Gum it to death? It doesn't know how to process that. It is too much for them too soon. 
And the problem with, with the church is we try to throw too much. We try to teach you too much. We try to get you to, to oh, oh, uh, listen, I gave my life to Christ last week. Great. Now, let's talk about hermeneutics. Who's he? <laughs> you know? Exegesis and eisegesis. What, why are we doing any of that to Jesus? I don't understand. See, we try to sound smarter in the church than really we need to, to be. Do you think any person out there not living for Jesus cares anything about the theology uh, and the deeper thoughts of spirituality? Absolutely not. The reality is, is most of them could care less about any of that. We need to show them just how good God is in the simplistic form. That's why I like people like Peter and John and the, and the New Testament disciples is because they weren't running around going, well, I've got my PhD doctorate from this seminary and I've, you know, ran 5,000 churches and da-da-da. They're just like, look, you need to know Jesus. I don't have any money, but I can give you healing. I, I, don't, I don't have it all together, but I can, I can pour into your life spiritually so that you can understand how good Jesus is to us. They didn't try to be anything that they weren't. They just tried to be real to the people around them. And that's what I believe the world is looking for. They're looking for authentic Christians who just say, I don't have to have all the answers, but I do know this Jesus. I can point you to this. And, and along the way, hey, let's go and grow together. You may be on spiritual milk now, but you, you, you need to nourish. You need to grow in that. It, it may take a year or two for you to get the basics of faith. That's okay. But study. Get in the Bible and read and, and go, hey, I wonder what that means. Peter knew every believer had to grow. It was not enough to have good leaders, but to have a life built in learning from the scriptures and trusting and following the Holy Spirit. Peter's book, First uh, Peter, is full of growth talk, full of it. Because he recognizes that it's one thing to be a baby Christian, but it you can't be 30 years into Christian faith and still not able to eat the steak. Well, I understand uh, salvation, but I'm still a little leery on this whole living it out thing. No, you're choosing not to at that point. See, there's a growth process. Could you, I mean, listen, how many watch Saturday Night Live? And, and I think it was Saturday Night Live with uh, uh, the, the grown man. Look what I can do. I think it's Saturday Night Live. Okay, see, some of y'all are looking at me like I'm crazy. Okay, listen to me. <sighs> some of y'all need to be cultured more. Uh, you know, it's, it is really stupid. It's, you know, it's a grown man dressed up like a little kid. He's like, look what I can do, Mom. Look what I can do. And he's like a little kid. And, and, and listen, this was way back when I was like a teenager. He was, he was out there. And, and, but like some of us in our faith, we're like, we barely understand. And then listen, it's because the enemy doesn't want you to understand. He doesn't want you to gain in knowledge. And so we, we walk around spiritually and we're like, oh yeah, I understand church a little bit, but, but we haven't dove into some of the things. I want us to understand some of the deeper things of God. And it doesn't mean that you have to become a theologian. It just means that you have to study his word. It just means that you have to get around people that maybe you've got some questions. I love when people go, I got a question. Great, I might have an answer. But here's my promise. If I don't have an answer, I'm gonna find out. I'm going to study something because I want to be able, I want to be a good leader to you, but I also want you to learn. I, I want you to say, what are the deeper parts of God that will, because listen, the deeper you go, the more you will not want to walk away. Why do you think, why do you think dating is easy to get rid of somebody when you don't know them all that well? Hey, I don't really know them. It's no loss to me. Heartbreak hurts when you get to know somebody. 
been with them for a while. You know the ins and outs of, of their life and, and who they are. And you, and you could see your life going somewhere. And then they go, mm-mm, we're done. And you're like, <laughs> my only. Now let's equate that to Jesus. We could care less about walking away from Jesus when we don't know a lot about him. But the more we get to know him, the more we see him do stuff in our lives, we go, there's no way I'd ever want to go back to the way I used to live. There's got to be growth. The, the third thing that Peter was about was Peter acted in faith. Peter allowed faith to lead him. And everything that he did, when you look at the book of Acts, when you look at First and Second Peter, when you look at his story, Peter allowed faith to lead him. He traveled and spread the gospel all throughout uh, East Asia and, and all, through, uh, all up into Rome. And, and, and he, he traveled to spread the gospel. He was a part of healings. He was a part of miracles. He was a power, part of powerful God moments and great teaching leading the church. His life was one that had to trust the Holy Spirit in all he did. I think sometimes we get really comfortable in how we live to where we don't need God to show up. And I think sometimes he, he pulls the rug out from, or he allows, I should say this, because I don't want you all to get mad at me and be like, you just said God allows that. No, God allows, he doesn't do evil things, but he allows us to walk through things for two reasons, I think. One, there's a growth process. We grow in hard times, okay? That's how we grow. If it was a mountaintop experience all the time, we wouldn't grow. We'd be like, hey, life is good. And then when the storms came, we I don't know how to handle this. So we grow in hard times. But the other thing that hard times are producers of is to recognize where we have gotten comfortable in our life. Oh, I've, I've started slipping back. You know, it, there's a song by Cast and Crowns called Slow Fade. And, and it's th this beautiful picture that, that falling away from God doesn't happen immediately. It's not like, you know, like, I love Jesus. I love Jesus. I love Jesus. How did I get drunk and high? I don't even know how this happened. Oh, what the heck? Like, it doesn't happen that way. You know, if you're in a relationship and somebody cheats, it's not like, oh, I don't know what happened. I just woke up here. No. That's not how, it's a slow fade. It's, it's, it's looking on Instagram and Facebook and seeing something that you maybe shouldn't be looking at and you going, oh, well, and instead of turning away or, or deleting it, you, you keep it there. Or, or so, all of a sudden you start watching shows that maybe start to dive things into your life that you don't need. Or you start talking to somebody and all of a sudden it's a little slow things that pull you away from God. It's very rarely this dr dramatic thing. It's the alcoholic that says, you know what? I've, I've, I've been sober for a while now. I can have one drink. It's that same mindset. I've been so good. One, one little drink won't hurt, and then one drink turns to two, turns to three, spirals them back to that lifestyle. And when we realize that, that God wants so much more and so much greater in our life, that we are willing to dive deep into that, that we're not going to let the enemy pull us away from this life that God has given us, and we will act in faith. I want the Holy Spirit to teach and lead me every single day. Seems about every Saturday night when I'm studying for my message, God gives me one little quick quip to put in. It says this, Sitting there, I thought this thought. You cannot trust God on Sundays and live fearfully on Monday. We can't say we trust God with our life and then we get to Monday and we go, I left God at church. Fear is normal. 
Living fearfully is not. They say courage isn't the absence of fear, but is the ability to press on despite your fear. And that's what faith is. It's saying, I'm going to move in faith. I may, I may, I'm going to deal with some tough things. I'm going to have some unsure moments. I'm going to live in, with, with this fear or this worry or this anxiety in my life. But I'm not going to let it stop me because I'm not going back to who I am. I'm going to move in action the way that God wants me to. Peter was a man of action. And I'm telling you, if you really want to see God do stuff, as you dive into his word and as you understand who he is, you're going to live it out and it's going to change people. And I go back to Peter walking on water. We could easily talk about his failures of taking his eyes off of Jesus, but he was the only one willing to step out of the boat. The only one. Well, yeah, but he, he fell. Yeah, but he stepped out. He's the only one that will ever be able to say, I put my foot on water. One of my prayers is, God, just one, just once, just once, I want to step into a pool and actually step on the pool. I want to feel that, I want to feel that feeling. So far, it has not worked out. Peter's, Peter's the only one in the boat. Everybody else is like, it's a ghost. And he's like, Lord, is that you? He's like, yes. And, and, and then he goes, and now if, if it's you, call him. Like, he's already told him he's God. But if it is you, because none of us have been there in our lives, like, I think it's God, but God, if it's you, call me out. And he's like, okay, fine. You're invited out. And Peter takes a step, and he takes a couple steps. But what happens is he allows the fear and the focus to shift. And when we're living our life and we're moving in action, when we're working within the Holy Spirit, we're going to do things that we naturally don't think that we could do or that we're capable of, but we can. And it's when we start doing those that the world will start to tell you, you're not good enough. You can't do that. How could God use you? And you start to look around and you're like, oh, crap, you're right. And you start to drown. Here's the grace of God. He went over to where Peter was and he grabs him and he picks him back up. Now, here's the assumption. Peter had to get back in the boat. I think Peter walked back to the boat. So Peter walks, steps out. He, he sees the world around him. He sees the fear. He starts to drown. Jesus, the gracious and amazing God he is, comes and picks him up out of the water and then walks with Peter back to the boat. That is a beautiful story of how our life should be with Jesus. There are going to be times where you make mistakes and you fall, and Jesus is going to be there to pick you up, and guess what he's going to do? He's going to walk through life with you, and he's going to teach, and he's going to grow, and he's going to help you become the person that you want to be so that you can make an impact in the world. Lastly, is uh, Peter lived within the power of the Holy Spirit. Peter lived within the power of the Holy Spirit. Peter couldn't be Peter without the Holy Spirit. He just couldn't. Peter experienced too much not to live within the power of the Holy Spirit. And I think this may be the biggest problem within the church. We have trusted too much on programs, preachers, and process. I think, I think we, we, we focus too much on what the church is about instead of the focus of what the church is supposed to be, which is you and me, growing, living for Jesus. I was even thinking about it this morning when I was setting the flags up outside and just going, this is how me and God have conversations. God, are we doing the right thing? 
Like, are, are we on track with where we should be, like, as a church? Like, I was sitting back there, right? Matter of fact, right where April's at, sitting in that chair praying for y'all this morning. And I just, God, if, if there's anything inside of me that is doing this wrong, like, help me to be moldable to, like, learn and grow and, and, and be able to do this right and do this better. And I think a lot of times in churches, we, we start to trust the programs and the preachers and the process. We get really comfortable with that so that we don't have to ask the uncomfortable questions of Jesus, will you just show up? But programs can't change your life when everything goes to hell. There's no program that the church can put on that is gonna help you when you're like, my life is tumbling upside down. Well, you know, if you just go to our class, like, forget your class. Asking for real life change right here. This is why the church is so powerful. And this is why I think the church as a, as a, a whole grows is because it's people that go, I've got your back. I don't have to have it all together to pray with you. I don't have to have it all together to say, hey, you're going through it. Let's link arms. I got you. Your marriage is, is on the rocks. Man, if you just give it to Jesus, you can come to our, our, our marriage class. I'm going to pop you in your little marriage class head. I don't need your process, your programs. I don't need your class. I need something that's actually going to change this right here, right now. And that's what we have. We have the Jesus that can offer them this hope and this healing. And when we point them to the word and say, well, are you doing these things in your marriage? No, then let's start doing these. Let me pray with you. You know, let me grab my wife and, and you grab your wife and, and let's pray together. Let's pray that the God of the universe can keep this together. We cannot do this thing without the Holy Spirit. We need him to, spirit, to guide us spiritually with the Holy Spirit, experiencing his goodness and his fruits and his gifting. Peter sought God in the power of the Holy Spirit, and he lived in a state of dependence on God. And my question today isn't in one of uh, chastisement. It is not one of I'm better than. I'm simply asking you, do you depend on God? Do you think about that? Because here's what the really easy answer to do. <laughs> All of us in the room. Of course I do. Why wouldn't I? I'm here, ain't I? Do you depend on God? Do you trust him with everything that goes on in your life? Or are there still things that you try to control? Peter had to learn that control has to be given to God so that he could get the best version of himself to give to this world. It's real easy to do the, the easy things that you want to do, but to, to restrain from them and say, God, what do you want? How do you want me to live my life? What is best for me? That's what Peter learned. And that's what he passes on in his book. Hey, listen, it's okay to start off slow. It's okay to start off on milk. But let's grow together. I want you to understand God more. I want you to understand the depth of his goodness. And you know how you do that? You experience him. I hope you're experiencing God outside of church. I hope you're having moments with God your Monday through Saturday because that's how you're going to grow. Will you pray with me?
The Peter principles are really simple. It's to choose God over yourself. To listen to the voice of God and not the voice of the enemy that says you're not good enough. So I wonder if there's anybody in this room with nobody looking around, if there's anybody that's saying, you know what, I've allowed the enemy to tell me that I'm not good enough. To tell me that I can't be who God has called me to be, to live with purpose and to live with a holy power inside of me. I've just, I've just, I've believed the lie that my sins and my mistakes are greater than anything that God could do. And I've allowed that lie to become real. And I want that to to not be the way. I want to change the way that I see that. If that's you, I just raise your hand so I can pray for you. I just want to pray for you. You've believed the lie of things in your life that God is, that God is trying to speak to. And you go, I, I, there's no way. I, I, I believe the lie that I am not good enough. I believe the lie that I can't be somebody in this life that God has called me to be. Amen. God, I pray for those that are sitting out there right now that saying, you know what? You've bought the lie of fear. You've bought the lie of anxiety. You've bought the lie that your sins are far greater than your purpose. The God that your word says that you wash sins white as snow. You put them as far as the east is from the west, that everything that we have done, when we come to know you and we live for you, God, our sins are no longer pray, Jesus, that you would pour your life into us. God, wherever we're at in our faith walk, help us to grow a little bit. God, that we would be hungry for your word and help us to understand it. Holy Spirit, that's your job. Help us understand the written word of God. And like Peter, we want to live in faith and we want to act in faith and we want to depend on you. And so God, I pray that we would start to make those those simple things in life. Just speaking it out every morning. God, I am depending on you today to live to the best of my capabilities. Trusting you. God, help me not to speak in ways that do not please you. Help me not to think in ways that will not honor you. Help me to to be the best version that you have created a purpose and a plan in my life and help me to live that out. Help me to grow in that, God. I pray that over our people. And God, what will happen when we start to do that is things like changing our community and our workplaces, friend groups, family groups. When we serve our community, they will see God's love and they will run to you. God, I thank you for this group of people. I love to get to do life with our Freedom Fam. I pray a blessing over them this week that they will go and they would make well known your goodness. Give them opportunities to speak of you. Give them opportunities to grow. We love you, Jesus. We thank you. In your name we pray. Amen.